So we have a guest speaker today, which may not seem like a guest to many of you since he grew up in this church. Um, some of you watched him in the nursery, changed a diaper or two probably, which is quite embarrassing. I'm sorry, Caleb, but we all had them. But uh, anyway, so my son, Caleb Burlisle, uh, he and his wife, Abby, moved back to town, which we're, we're so grateful for, uh, for a number of reasons. And so um, uh, Caleb has graciously agreed to come and share God's word with us this morning. And, and um, some of you may remember that they went to plant a church up in Madison, Wisconsin, which is the, the plant is doing really well. And uh, so now they're back down here, though, involved with the H2O Church uh, at Ohio State. It's a campus church and reaching out there, making disciples there. And it's a great work that that they're involved in. And so um, you might see those little connection card, those little pieces of paper there where it says uh, you can connect with Caleb and Abby. And if you want to bring on their prayer team, and he'll share a little bit about through the course of his message uh, what uh, type of ministry they're doing, how you could pray for them. If you want to just want to be on the prayer team or if you're interested in talking about supporting what they're doing, uh, you can indicate that as well. So, uh, and then there's a place that you can put those connection cards on when you leave, which reminds me those communion cups. Uh, I'll just remind you at the very end, we're just going to have you drop those in the trash can on the way out. And then there's a box next to that for those connection cards. So uh, without further ado, Caleb, come on up and share with us God's word. So. morning, Darby Creek. Uh, it's good to be with you here today. Um, like my dad said, most of you probably know who I am already, um, maybe longer than you would have liked to know who I am, but that's okay. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's a privilege to be up here to talk about God's Word with you here today. Um, and just a little bit more about me and my wife, Abby. Um, yeah, so like we, like my dad said, we planted, helped plant a church up in Madison, Wisconsin for the past three years or so. And uh, it's it's doing great. They have a building now. Uh, it's been awesome to see what God's been doing there. Um, and then in addition to that, like my wife just started a new job a few weeks ago at an architecture and engineering firm uh, here in Columbus. Um, yeah, it's just been a privilege to see like all that God's doing uh, there. And then now with H2O, all that God's doing uh, for the gospel uh, at, on campus at Ohio State. Um, so if you guys want to turn to the gospel according to Matthew uh, chapter 28, and I'll uh, pray here. Um, God, I'm so thankful to be here with, uh, this morning to talk about your word, and I pray that your spirit would open our eyes to your truth, and that your word would change us and bear fruit. Um, I ask that this would not be about me, God, but it would be all about you and your glory, and I pray that you would use the people here today to go and procre- proclaim the gospel in their everyday lives and make disciples. Um, God, if there's someone here that does not know you, I just ask that you would save them, um, and we just pray all these things in your in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so uh, we're going to be in the gospel according to Matthew. And I kind of say it that way just because I want to get away from the idea of being multiple gospels. Because all these writers are talking about one gospel, uh, not different gospels. So that's just kind of why I say it that way. Um, yeah, and so we'll just start off with a little bit of background about uh, Matthew and, and the book. So... Like, there's three things that I like to focus on whenever I'm starting a new book of the Bible. And so first one is what genre of, like, literature is it? Is it poetry, biography, law, song, prophecy, things like that? Um, You know, and this just gives us a better idea of what the author's trying to communicate. So, like, for example, if my wife is writing out a grocery list, I, uh, she wants me to get, you know, 
beef carrot stew, it, I'm not going to say, oh, that's just so sweet of you to like write that for me, like a love letter or something. Uh, but no, no, she has like a specific thing that she wants me to go get for her. And then if I forget to bring that, then I'm in trouble because I didn't follow the list, right? She has a specific purpose in mind when she's writing it. I need to get these things so she can make whatever the thing she needs is, right? So it's really important to realize like what the purpose of the author is. And so with the gospel according to Matthew, for example, it can be viewed as a type of Jesus biography almost, um, And, you know, it's a little bit different than what our, like, modern-day biographies might look like. You know, they're very focused on sequential order. They were born here, and then, you know, all the way up through their life, and then they died at this date, at this place in time, right? Uh, But the Gospel according to Matthew has a little bit of mixture of, like, not being completely in chronological order, even though it does generally follow that pattern. Um, So that's important to remember that it's it's a biography-style writing of Jesus' life uh, written by... uh, and that brings us to the second thing, the two who's. So who wrote it and who uh, is it written to, right? Uh, so Matthew, one of the 12 disciples who followed Jesus throughout his ministry, um, is the person who wrote it. And then most people think uh, that he wrote it specifically to a Jewish audience, okay? Just because it focuses so much on fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, okay? So it, it was written by Matthew uh, to early Jewish followers of Jesus in the early church, Okay. And then number three is, is the passage descriptive or is it prescriptive, okay? So, um, you know, is it describing in a situation or event that happened or is it giving us something to live by, right? Um, so I'll say it again, descriptive or prescriptive, okay? Um, and, and a good example of uh, a passage that could challenge us with this is in Acts chapter 1, uh, the disciples are trying to decide who should replace Judas, Right? And so they end up having these two guys who are qualified, and then they up casting lots. So basically it's like similar to like flipping a coin type of idea. And then they had faith that God would provide the right person despite that, right? Uh, well, not despite that, but that God would provide somebody through that, okay? Um, and so, so that's what they did in that situation. But then when we look at Titus and 1 Timothy, we see these qualifications for elders. I know that there were just some new elders that were appointed here as well, so you guys are probably more familiar with, with that uh, process and those qualifications. Um, so, like, those give us general things to look for in people who are elders. It doesn't necessarily mean that we should, uh, as Acts say, uh, cast lots for people. That's just descriptive of what they did back in the early church uh, to appoint that new disciple. It's not prescriptive for us today uh, as far as deciding who should become elders, right? So let's keep these three things in mind, and we'll dive into uh, Matthew uh, 28, and then we'll start with verse 18. <clears throat> and it says this, And Jesus came, to, came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Okay, so the first thing that Matthew tells us in this section is that Jesus has all authority, right? He emphasizes this by saying on heaven and in earth. So essentially just, you know, covering all the area, you know, everywhere Jesus is king over everything. So he's Lord over everything, everywhere, throughout all of time, right? So that's what he's driving home. And he kind of end caps it too with focusing on the fact that he's always there with them to provide them with the means uh, to, to fulfill this big task that he's given them, right? Um, 
And, you know, I think it's vital to remember that Jesus has the authority to give us this and that he's there with us just because it seems daunting. There's all these alls in there, you know, to all nations, you know, like, and make disciples, teach them everything I've commanded, right? So it's a big task that God has called us to, but he's also called us into, like, the bigger story. So it's good to focus on the bigness of it, but also stay practical uh, despite that. Um, and also, like, I think it's important to remember that, you know, this isn't just for the disciples. Some people make the argument that, you know, Jesus is saying, oh, just the disciples should go and make other disciples, right? But if we really think about this, uh, it's not very practical for them to make disciples of all nations, right? If you think about the the persecution of the early church, uh, and if you think about things like... um, you know, the fact that they couldn't travel very easily and things like that. It just doesn't make sense uh, that they would be able to do it. Um, You know, and then some people say, oh, it's only for uh, church leaders to go and make disciples, but then isn't the process supposed to be, you know, disciples who then make other disciples? And so it just doesn't hold up if you think uh, along that line. Um, So this is a prescriptive declaration that Jesus is giving us. It's an imperative statement. Um, So the call to go make disciples. um, if we've been in the church like uh, arena recently, discipleship is one of the biggest topics out there. Um, so like I, I wanted to see how many books were out there on the topic and I searched Amazon to see how many books there were. And so it said there was over 20,000 titles that were along the tag of discipleship. So a lot of people are talking about it and I think it's important to focus on what that actually means despite all the communication happening around discipleship. Um, so I think Jesus provides us with some uh, insight on into this uh, very early on. So he says, you know, we need to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, right? Um, and then to teach them all I've commanded. So to be t- baptized, uh, we know that you must first repent and believe, okay? So uh, this is what we see uh, in the early church especially. So I'll just read Acts 2, 36 to 38. Um, And Peter says this, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so here he's clearly saying that the repent and believing comes before the baptism, right? So it's a a necessary step to repent and believe first. So this implies that the first step of discipleship is evangelism, or in other words, like gospel proclamation. Um, So that's the first thing we must do to make disciples, proclaim the gospel, okay? Um, so I'm not going to, you know, assume that all of you know what the gospel means or what the gospel is. Okay. So I'll just give a, a brief description of it here. So, um, the gospel that Peter is preaching, uh, in this sermon actually here is, um, this. So Romans three twenty three. all have fallen short of the glory of God, right? Um, we're all messed up. We all have things that we need to work on and need to change, right? But we can't do it by ourselves. Um, you know, we were created in God's image, like Genesis 1 and 2 tells us. Uh, you know, the Imago Dei is, is the theological term that people call it, right? Um, and, you know, we were born in, in God's image, but then we rebelled and we're under the curse of Adam. And, and we continue to sin through our own sinful actions, thoughts, and, and desires, right? Um, but then Jesus uh, became the God-man, 100% God, 100% man, Um and Colossians 1.15 says this, he is the image of the invisible God, um, the firstborn of all creation. And then if we continue on with that, Jesus is born, you know, the 100% God, 100% man. 
Um, and then he continues to live a sinless life. Um, and then he's crucified, as Matthew tells us. And then he, he rises from the dead, okay? And then he, through this uh, death, he pays the price for our sins. And he makes us clean from the dirtiness of our sinful life, okay? Um, and, and so that's, after that, you know, no one can bring a charge against God's elect, as Romans 8 tells us, okay? So that's the gospel. Uh, in essence, God made man in his image. Mankind rebelled. And then uh, Jesus was God incarnate and paid the price for those who believe in him. Okay? So we, we, Jesus is telling us here in Matthew 28 that we need to go proclaim this to others, okay? Notice that he says this is an active thing, okay? We cannot expect everyone to come up to us and see our actions and then use that as a, a message for the gospel. Sometimes this does happen to us, okay? And that's awesome when it does happen. But Jesus isn't telling us to expect that to be normal. We're supposed to be salt and light. But... We cannot just expect always for people to come up to us. Jesus is commanding us to go, okay? We can't just be sitting down when we're discipling, okay? This is the first step, gospel proclamation. All right, and, and to be clear, this is the starting point. It's not just, you know, okay, we get, you know, we repent and we believe, and then from there, you know, that's all we need the gospel for. It's not just like, you know, saving us from condemnation type of thing, okay? Um, you know, many Christians have the tendency to want to move past the gospel once they've uh, been in the church for a while. And they want to say, okay, I, I get the concepts that you're telling me, uh, but I want to I move on to something more than that, okay? Um, but I think uh, this is wrong thinking. Uh, J.D. Greer, a pastor and president of the SBC, says this, that uh, the gospel is not just the diving board, but the pool of the Christian life, Okay. Uh, so his point there is we never outgrow the gospel, okay? We're always swimming in the pool. We may have, you know, it may be the means to get into the pool, but, we, you know, it, it also helps us throughout the rest of the time we're in that pool, okay? Um, we never outgrow the gospel. And this is, this is vital to the Christian walk, okay? Throughout the Old Testament, we see God telling us to then remember uh, what God did in the past to concrete our belief in the future, okay? And so throughout the Old Testament, whether it's, you know, prophets or the law or uh, wisdom literature, uh, you know, the writers sit, look back to the Exodus, right? So, you know, uh, the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt, right? And then um, God uses Moses to then uh, help liberate them from that uh, enslavement under the Egyptian empire, Right. And then God always points back to, hey, remember when I have been freed, freed you of that slavery in Egypt and have faith that I will continue to provide for you like I did in the past, okay? So God tells us to look back to concrete our faith for the future, okay? And so as people who are living on this side of the cross and Jesus' life and death, we can then look back to um, the cross as our example, Right? Jesus provided through his uh, life, death, and resurrection for us. So we need to look back to that and have faith for the future as we live the Christian life, okay? Um, and Hebrews 4 tells us that because of what Jesus has done for us, we have this great high priest who understands what we're going through and relates to us throughout our Christian walk, okay? He is the, the perfect uh, priest who provided the perfect sacrifice, okay? Um, okay, so looking back at Matthew... Jesus also states in verse 19 that we're supposed to go to all nations, okay? And this is not the first time that Jesus focused on this in his ministry, okay? Mark 13, 10 briefly says this, and the gospel must be first proclaimed to all nations, okay? So, you know, Jesus is saying multiple times that the, all the nations are in view 
uh, from his ministry. This is not a new development uh, after the resurrection, okay? This is something that he'd been focusing on. Um, and if we think back to the two who's of these two passages, it's Matthew and Mark um, who are, are writing about Jesus uh, to early Christians to tell them uh, about what this gospel is, okay? Um, and like I said earlier, clearly, uh, you know, just the disciples themselves are not capable of fulfilling this big task. If we remember back to passages like Acts 1.8, um, you know, it, it also says to go, you know, to Jerusalem, Samaria, the ends of the earth. It, it's this big task that God has called us to, okay, to, to go everywhere. Um, but remember that Jesus uh, told us that he gave us the authority to give us this big task. Um, so essentially, discipleship is to be done by all Christians, okay? So by what power, uh, you know, can, can this disciple-making be done? Uh, if you want to turn to Luke 24, uh, I'll be in verses 44 through 49. Um, that's Luke 24, verses 44 through 49. And it says this, um, Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed to, in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Okay. So we see a very similar message to what we talked about earlier in Matthew and Mark. We're supposed to go to uh, all the earth and make disciples, right? Um, but something's a little bit different about this. He tells them to wait uh, for power from on high, right? So, like, c- the question we should ask then is, what is this power from on high? And so if we were guessing, like, the Holy Spirit, we would be right. Um, in Acts, the disciples are not only hiding uh, from persecution, although that's definitely a factor there, but they're also um, hiding because God told them to, or Jesus told them to wait until after the power had come upon them, right? Um, and so when we see the Holy Spirit given to them immediately after that, um, they go and start preaching. That's what I, the passage I talked about earlier in Acts was Peter giving the first sermon there. Um, and, and Acts tells us that he was preaching on the prophet Joel and that about 3,000 people were saved that day. So immediately after that, they are going and making disciples. They needed that power to go do that. Um, and, and I think this is vital for us to understand, um, you know, because if we really think about it from a human perspective, um, why would they have waited to, uh, you know, go and share these things? From like a human per- marketing perspective, you want to capitalize on the Passover, because the Passover brought people from all over the earth to, like, come back to Jerusalem, okay? So it's a prime opportunity to get people from all over the world to come and, and, and learn about what Jesus has done for them, okay? So this, this doesn't make sense from a human perspective, but what God is doing is he's bringing glory to himself, not to the methods or the people that are there. So God's bringing himself glory by, by this waiting because it's only through the power of the spirit that they're able to make disciples, okay? And like we talked about earlier, you get that power by repenting and believing in what Jesus has done, okay? So I'm gonna circle back to two things really quick. Um, first, when we speak about reaching all nations, we need to understand this properly. Um, and like, to be clear, this doesn't mean we all need to go and become missionaries to other countries, okay? One, it's just not practical, and two, this is not, I don't think this is what Jesus is calling us to here. Um, but this does mean we should be all hands on deck for the gospel, okay? Um, 
if the mission really is to reach all the nations and we do believe that, then the task is great. Jesus is calling us to do a big thing here, um, but we need that power of the spirit. Um, so I think the helpful way to start thinking of this is think of like coworkers, friends, people like that family who, you know, are in your life who are not believers already. Okay. These are people God has brought into your life. Um, and we should start by reaching out to these people and having gospel conversations with them. This is what Jesus is commanding us to do. It's not optional, okay? Jesus is giving an imperative statement in Matthew 28, not just describing what should be happening. Um, so, you know, if we ever want to go share this with other cities, states, countries, whatever, um, you know, we need to be doing this where we're at now, okay? In other words, we can't export what we don't already have here. So if we're not discipling here, we cannot expect to go do it somewhere else. So, you know, if you think about it too, if you go to a different nation and you're not already doing these things, you already have, you have a language barrier, you have a cultural barrier, they might be more collectivist versus individualistic, um, you know, those type of things. So why do you think you'll be able to um, overcome those things if you're not already pr- doing the process here uh, where you're at, okay? So I think that's what we need to focus on is like, hey, am I doing it here? And if I am, then you can step out in faith and go, uh, go to other places, um, so we are, must already have a strong discipleship culture if you're going to try to make disciples and work cross-culturally. Um, obviously, through the Spirit, we can reach to anyone, anywhere. I'm not trying to deny that he could do that work. But we're also supposed to use wisdom in how we go and do that work too, all right? So like some verses that just come to mind are Proverbs 15, 22, or even Proverbs 8, which describes like Lady Wisdom. And it talks about how God has put reason and wisdom into how he's made the creation, okay? So we're supposed to use that, what God has given us, to make our decisions, okay? So when we go and share cross-culturally, we should use that wisdom to go and and share what we're already doing, okay? And so then the second thing I wanted to come back to was baptism, okay? So Jesus commands us to baptize those who are disciples, right? We should therefore baptize people who have repented and believed, Um, and when we're talking about baptism, we're not talking about something that like gives us like a special amount of grace or, or adds to the amount of grace that we've already been given, but it's a symbol of what uh, Jesus did for us on the cross. One, you know, one it, it, it images that, you know, going from death to life spiritually. And then two, it also symbolizes the, uh, the cleansing of, you know, us from the dirtiness of sin to the white robes that we have now because of Jesus, um, so it's got this awesome symbolic power of what has been accomplished on the cross, right? Um, and this is not to mention just the excitement to see what God has done in people's lives, right? It's exciting to hear people give their testimonies and hear how the gospel has been proclaimed, okay? Um, and, you know, I think it's also a great opportunity to invite uh, family members to baptisms too because they might not go to a regular church service, but for some reason people are very comfortable going to baptism services, I don't necessarily know what it is about that, but for some reason, people are receptive to it. So I would encourage you, you know, if you haven't been baptized, to talk with your small group leader, the elders, about being baptized, right? Because this is what Jesus commands us to go do, okay? It's not, it doesn't say it's optional. He says we should go do it. Um, and if you have any questions, like I said, talk to your small group leader. Talk to one of the elders. I'm sure they'd love to talk with you about baptism. All right, um, and next Jesus tells us that we are to teach uh, these disciples all that he has commanded. So to recap the steps here, uh, so we have one, evangelism or uh, gospel proclamation. Step two, 
baptism. And then step three is teaching all that he has commanded. And so obviously there's some overlap between two and three there, but that's the order Jesus gives us. So I'm not going to fight him on that. Um, might get me in trouble there. Um, and, you know, I, this really does seem like a lot to teach all that Jesus has commanded, right? Um, you know, and to actually live that out. But the Apostle Paul gives us great examples of what this looks like within relationships, okay? So uh, if you want to look at uh, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, I'll be in verses 10 through 17. Uh, again, that's 2 Timothy 3, 10 through 17. And it says this, uh, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all, the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted while evil people and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and firmly believed, knowing from who you learned it and how from your childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Okay, so Timothy is following Paul's example. He is observing how the Gospels lived out in his everyday life, right? And then he seeks to replicate it. Um, this is the best way to teach something, right? To spend time with an expert, to really get into their life and examine how the Gospels lived out in their everyday life, okay? Uh, this is what Timothy is doing with Paul, and, and Paul's actually encouraging uh, Timothy's uh, example in Timothy's mother and his grandmother, who from an early age uh, taught him the Old Testament scriptures uh, throughout his, his young life. Um, this is really a great opportunity for like parents to be disciples, right? Um, Paul is, is uh, you know, encouraging uh, Timothy that that's a great example of what we should do, uh, bringing people up, proclaiming the gospel to them, and teaching them what it's like to uh, live a godly life. I, you know, and it's also great, an ex a great to give an example of what it looks like when you mess up and when you sin, and then, you know, say, hey, this is an image of what God has done for us on the cross, right? Because we're not perfect. Um, yeah, so also, you know, not all of us are kids, so, like, who should we look to for people to disciple us, right? Um, so I think here, a good rule of thumb for us is just to find someone in your church who's more mature in Christ than you. This doesn't necessarily have to be age-wise, but just general like maturity, knowledge of the word, things like this are things to look for in someone to disciple you. Um, and, you know, you should meet up with that person and ask them to disciple you because they might not know that you're looking for it. Um, and, and if you really are hungry for that, then you should go and meet up with them and ask them. Um, people like small group leaders and elders are people to look up to, okay? These are people who, who can disciple us and have the ability to um, so just, just remember that within this context, there's kind of three things that you want to look at to do while you're discipling people. And one, the Bible should be the centerpiece of this, right? Um, if we look back to the Second Timothy 3 passage, what does he say about the Bible? It's good for reproof, training in righteousness. This is 
This is like our uh, guidebook of how we can live the Christian life out, okay? So we need to be looking in the word for that type of stuff. But also the reproof part of it, it it implies that we are going to mess up and we need to change something, right? So confessing sin together, looking at what the Bible has to say about what we've done wrong, okay? So we can then go and confess sin together and work on that together with the Bible. Um, In addition to this, we should proclaim the gospel together, Um, You know, this is the first part that we talked about, you know, we need to go and proclaim the gospel. This is what Jesus is calling us to, okay? Uh, It's it's not optional. Um, And just one example of like how this plays out in everyday life. I had a guy in my small group, um, came to faith about a couple months before he uh, came to our church and our small group. And he said, oh, you know, I love the community of the small group and I love reading the word together, but I just don't really understand what it says. Like, you know, like words like propitiation don't mean anything to me, right? Because, like, that's not a word you use every day probably. I mean, maybe if you're a theologian or something, you might. But, you know, most of us don't use that every day. Um, so I was like, okay. So I took him through, like, oh, you know, the three things that I talked about earlier, the two who's, who's it written to, who's it written by, uh, you know, the genre, things like taking him through the basics of, like, hey, this is just how you read the Bible, you know? Doing things like that is what we want to do, you know? And it's great to see people who have the hunger for that and being able to provide Bibles for them. Things, things like that are, are what's encouraging when you're discipling other people as well. So, you know, here I have some, some practical steps uh, for discipleship. And, and some of them are formed in the phrase of questions so that way we can reflect as we go through our lives on whether we're actually executing the Great Commission here in Matthew. So number one, ask, do I know what the gospel is and do I believe it? So like I gave an explanation of this earlier. Um, but if you have questions, feel free to talk to me, talk to your small group leader, the elders, whoever, you know, um, you know, that's, that's what, why we're here. This is why I'm preaching. Um, so, you know, they would, the elders would love to share this stuff with you. Um, and just an example of like someone throughout history who tried to go make disciples, but wasn't actually believing, repenting and believing, uh, is, is John Wesley. So he's like the founder of Methodism, if you don't know who he is. Uh, well, one of them. Um, and he was a missionary. And like while he was going sharing with other people, he realized, hey, I don't actually like, I haven't repented and believed. I don't, I don't think I was actually a Christian when I was doing this. And, and he's like, this is probably why I was so frustrated with the success of what I was doing, right? So, you know, that's, a, that's the non-example. It's an interesting story, but we don't want that to be normative of what we're doing in our discipleship relationships, okay? So, number two, if I am a Christian and have repented and believed, am I being discipled? Um, you know, if not, you know, you can meet up with somebody and ask them to disciple you. Um, you know, and, and kind of a side note with this too is don't be offended if the person is already at their maximum capacity, okay? Uh, you know, because there may just be a limitation to what they can do. If you think back to Jesus, he had the 12 disciples, and then he had the three uh, who were closest to him. But, you know, he, because of his humanity, just decided that, you know, this is going to be the example. People can only do so much in a certain amount of time, right? Um, so just remember that when you're asking people to disciple them. And then number three, are you sharing the gospel with people in your life regularly? Why or why not? So Jesus clearly tells us to share the gospel with people, Okay. Um, you know, and if we're not doing it, it's fine to repent. We have grace through the cross. Um, you know, he, he humbled himself and gave up his life. This should be our motivation, not guilt from not sharing or or guilt because of the law, but because of the love that Jesus had for us, that should be what motivates us. The love of Christ. Um, you know, I love my wife. So I talk about her. We love, we talk about what we love to do and what we're interested in. So that should be the same with Jesus, right? Thank you. 
Um, if you do not have anyone in your life uh, who is a Christian or you don't think is a Christian, you know, there's no excuse for like having that, right? Um, you know, even if we're in a time of quarantine and COVID-19, right? Technology has given us so many different ways that we can do this, even if we're not meeting in person, right? So, th- so we can't make excuses for going out and sharing the gospel, okay? Um, you know, just for one example, you know, I had to go get new license plates for our cars since we moved here back from Wisconsin. Um, so I was waiting at the BMV uh, for about 45 minutes. Uh, you know, that's how it goes. Um, and, you know, the one over off Cemetery Road, if you're familiar, there's a, there used to be a library over there, and now it's a church. And so I was sitting or standing behind this guy for a while, and I was like, oh, when did that library become a church? And he's like, oh, I don't know. It was a library for, forever. And I was like, yeah, I can't remember when it changed either. Um, yeah, and, and then I was like, oh, you know, do you go to church anywhere? Um, you know, that type, that just starts the road down the spiritual conversation, right? You know, I might have had a softball from God there because, you know, there's a church, and I can just be like, oh, you know, easily transitions there. But, you know, we should be seeking those opportunities to share with other people that are around us, whoever it may be. Um, you know, they might not have a radical transformation just by you sharing what Jesus has done with them. That guy didn't. But, you know, that's what God is asking us to do, to enter into those conversations with faith. Okay, and then number four, in my discipleship relationships, are <clears throat> are we studying the word and sharing the gospel with others and confessing sin? So like I talked about, those were the three things that we want to focus on in those times. So, uh, you know, these are like the bread and butter of the Christian life, right? Um, and if we're not doing them, 2 Timothy 3 tells us, like, that's, this is what the Bible is for, uh, to help correct us, help build us up, train us. Um, and, and this is what we should be focusing on. Teaching all that I've commanded is a lot to do. Um, so we need to get into the word together in community and share with others. Um, and then the, the last thing, number five, and like in addition to personally going, we can also aid uh, missionaries and, and supporting church plants who bring the gospel to areas or broaden the gospel capacity. Um, I was a part of church plant up in Madison, Wisconsin um, for about three years, and now I'm working on campus at Ohio State with H2O Church. Um, yeah, and, and I think... You know, it's just a great opportunity to reach college students. So, like, a lot of college students don't think they have a lot of time, but they really do if, if when they look back and think about it. I know I didn't think I had a lot of time when I was in college, but I really did um, compared to now. Um, so, yeah, it's just a great opportunity for them to explode in their faith over four years. And it's just been amazing to see what God does through those relationships. Um, also, like, OSU is about 10% international students, so the nations are coming to us, so we can disciple them here, and if they end up going home or whatever ends up happening, they can go disciple wherever they end up. Um, and, and, you know, I think college is a time where a lot of people search for meaning in their life, right? I mean, we all do in a sense, but I think it's it's magnified there for some reason. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of people find look for their meaning, whether it's in partying or relationships or, you know, success in school, success in their future career. These are things that I've seen people kind of struggle with. Um, and, and we bring the gospel into those situations and say, those things won't bring you meaning. It's only through Jesus that you'll find it. Um, and so so that's what we're all about at H2O. Um, you know, and I'm in the process of currently raising support for my role there. Um, and if you're interested in joining our prayer team or supporting us, we have some little connect cards, like my dad said earlier, uh, that you can, like, fill out. And then there's a box for them in the back. And if you're watching online, uh, there's also a Google form that you can fill out as well. Um, All right, I'll just close this out in prayer. God, we love you. Uh, We love your word. And we're just so thankful for what you've done for us on the cross, God. 
just your sacrificing your son and just that beautiful image of, of communion that we had earlier. God, I'm just so thankful for that and the image it gives us of, you know, your, your life and death, God. Um, I just pray that uh, as we go out into the world this week, that we would not just be hearers, but we'd be doers of your word, God. Um, yeah, and I just I just pray that we would look for gospel opportunities in everyday conversations that we have, whether it's with our coworkers, our family, uh, you know, people that are, are near to us, God. Just take advantage of those opportunities that you have given us, God. Um, and I just pray that if we're not being discipled, that we would seek to find people who are more mature in their faith, who can give us guidance, who can help help us with our sin so we can confess our sin in community, God, and not just be isolated in our faith. Um, yeah, God, and I just pray that, you know, if, if there's anyone here who does not know you, God, that just that you would save them, that you would open the eyes of their heart to what you've done on the cross, God. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.